then as I was doing the podcast, a lot of women started asking me, hey, can you help me or, you know, with this issue? Because I was focusing a lot on how do you empower yourself? How do you mm-hmm. protect yourself? How do you speak up? How do you create boundaries? Um, and specifically for Black women in academic institutions and, and in healthcare, where a lot of times even our jobs tell us to be self-sacrificing, mm-hmm to be self-reliant don't ask don't look like you don't know the answer right and also to suppress ourselves don't let the patient know about you you just welcome to diversity dish where we're dishing on everything diversity equity inclusion and justice related my name is Cedrola Maruska and we're bridging the gap between what needs to be said and what needs to be heard those individual experiences that are often ignored or simply dismissed. Sometimes I'm dining alone, sometimes I'm dining with friends, and sometimes I'm dining a la carte. No matter how I'm dining, it promises to be delicious. Let's dig in. Dr. Omolara Thomas Uemedino is a board-certified pediatrician for over 15 years and an academic faculty for over a decade mentoring women physicians of color. She is CEO and founder of Melanin Medicine and Motherhood, a company designed to provide Black women physicians with support through an online community network, masterclass events, courses, and coaching. As a life and career strategist, she provides Black women with culturally informed strategies and systems to reduce burnout, achieve personal and professional fulfillment, rediscover their purpose, and finally, achieve their vision for life without struggle or sacrifice. Dr. Uwema Dimo is an expert in the topics of medical racism, addressing equity for women physicians in healthcare, and eliminating health inequities for marginalized children and families. Her work has been featured in several media outlets, including People.com, NBC News, Medscape, Essence.com, Newsweek, Cranes, Politico, Reuters, and NPR. Welcome, Omolara. How are you? It is such a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you. I am doing well. It's a pleasure to be on the podcast. I am excited. (laughs) Yay! It is. I know we're going to get into a lot of stuff where we're talking about medicine. You are doctor. Let me not forget to put the doctor in there because you paid for that doctor okay <laughs> I, I would say I paid for some of it government paid for a good amount of it. <laughs> in any case you earned it so you earned the doctor and so we're going to talk about medicine and we're going to talk about some of the things that you're doing in uh, with medicine and with um Black physicians, Black women physicians. But before we get into all of that, I want you to tell the audience, um, what are you passionate about right now? Right now, I'm passionate about protecting Black women. Um, And yeah, I, I recently experienced in one of my spaces, basically multiple Black women who have reported being in HR investigations. And it mm. just has really now turned the tide of like the work that I wanna do because they, 
all of these investigations were from them just speaking up for themselves and and seeing them kind of like retaliate again. So that I'm really passionate about how can we protect women in these places? And so it's coming top of mind um, very often, very frequently for me right now. Yeah, I can imagine because, you know, just hearing that makes me go, oh, but of course, Mm -hmm. it's very strange how we go, oh my God, oh, but of course, but why not? Because when you start speaking up for yourself, then all of a sudden you are what? Angry Black woman. (laughs) You and I both know the script. You are the angry Black woman. You're too sensitive. You, they didn't mean it that way. It wasn't, why are you intending it to be that way? And there's so much information that needs to be put out there. And the only way that it's going to get put out there or the only way that it's going to get kicked up is if we stand up for ourselves and say, look, and and keep pushing back against these systems. So uh, I I hear you. So in working for, in that passion, so you're passionate about (laughs) protecting Black women, my question to you is, what is your superpower and how does your superpower relate to your passion, if it does? Yeah, so my superpower um, came to me, you know, I backed into it, but I realized my superpower is strategy. So, and what I mean by that is I was the one who in a lot of the circles, like I get a phone call from a friend or from whoever about, I'm dealing with this. What do you think I should do? I'm like, why are you calling me? Like, (laughs) 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 and, and then after talking through it, they're like, oh, that's such a great idea. That makes sense. I didn't even think about that. And I realized there was a pattern to it that kept happening. And it's actually now something I utilize in the work that I do um, very often. And it's the, it's the part of my work that excites me the most to, to really work one-on-one. And when, women are having challenges, Black women are having challenges, really helping them strategize Mm -hmm. so that they feel prepared and more confident about how they're going to navigate that challenge instead of, you know, feeling kind of caught off guard and just, you know, at learned helplessness potentially. So that's, yes, that's that's my superpower. I have many others though. (laughs) Hey, you know, (laughs) We'll stick with one for now because I'm sure you have many, Mm -hmm. but you did, you just mentioned that you use it in your work. And so will you tell us a little bit about what you're doing now? Because I know that you have this uh, melanin and medicine initiative or company. Talk to us about that a little bit. Yeah. So melanin and medicine. So I'm a, a, a board certified pediatrician by training and a little bit different from just regular pediatricians. I am what we call an academic pediatrician. So meaning after I finished medical school, I did my residency. I actually worked in Africa for quite some time um, through medical school residency and after, but ended up sitting in academic institutions and doing, having to do not only clinical care, but research and education. And so a lot of my work was very multiple things, juggling multiple balls at one time. And I actually ended up burnt out. Um, Mm. This was 
you know, I, this was in 2018 and I had finished, I finished residency in 2007 and became a faculty in 2011. And so I had been working for quite some time, but just, I think the nuance of how deeply, I think many of us who are um, from marginalized and minoritized, minoritized populations, how deeply we want to serve our communities and we don't get protection in terms of time, in terms of funding to do that work. And so we just mm-hmm. added on to the other work that we're doing. Right. And um, ultimately I ended up burnt out. I actually stepped away from clinical medicine and about six months later, I was diagnosed with um, multiple sclerosis. I ended up not being able to walk. That was how I realized. And through that process where I literally went from, you fake it till you make it, right? Doing everything right, but knowing I was a mess, like knowing Mm -hmm. I was just not taking care of myself. And then ultimately coming to pass in terms of me actually not being able to take care of myself. I couldn't walk. Mm. I had to be taken to the bathroom, like Mm. taken everywhere. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I spent some time in that recovery process because I couldn't work. Mm -hmm. They actually had disseminated my work amongst five people. And during that time, I started to realize how many of us are on this road to a mental health or a physical health breakdown mm-hmm. because we're trying to take on the world and, and we're trying to do the three things, not let self-suppression. So make sure we don't self-reliance and self-sacrifice doing all three at the same time. And I was like, I want to go through the process of rehabbing my life, but I also want to do it together with some other women. So I started a Facebook group. Don't ask me why. <laughs> I have not been on Facebook for 10 years, but somebody was like, you should start a Facebook group. And silly me on medical leave was like, okay. <laughs> and a lot of the women, it actually grew quite quickly. Now we have about 1300, almost 1400 black women mm-hmm. in medicine in it. But while, while we were doing it, a lot of the women were telling their friends and they're like, I'm not on Facebook. And I, I started a podcast. And then as I was doing the podcast, a lot of women started asking me, hey, can you help me or, you know, with this issue? Because I was focusing a lot on how do you empower yourself? How do you mm-hmm. protect yourself? How do you speak up? How do you create boundaries? Um, and specifically for Black women in academic institutions and, and in healthcare, where a lot of times even our jobs tell us to be self-sacrificing. Mm-hmm to be self-reliant, don't ask, don't look like you don't know the answer. Right. And also to suppress ourselves. Don't let the patient know about you. You just, are, you know, put the wall there. And so in that kind of realm where we have the strong Black woman and the superhero complex of mm-hmm. medicine, a lot of women started reaching out about, this is really helping me to like free myself. And, and so we start, so basically people started asking how they could work with me. And I said, I don't know, I'm a pediatrician. What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) And then then I was like, oh, okay. You mean like, look, I was a salaried employee. Like, yes. And and that's where your brain was. (laughs) I get it. I get it. You know, you're like, what? I'm not, I don't know. (laughs) But are you like, oh, hold on a second. Let me think about that. So ultimately that was in January, 2020, we birthed 
melanin. It was melanin medicine motherhood. We recently changed to melanin and medicine because we really just wanted to open it up and not not say that, you know, it didn't have to, because these things didn't depend on whether you were a mother. They really depended on the fact that, you know, you were marginalized and minoritized and, and made to fit in a box. So Melanin and Medicine now is a full service coaching company. Hi. We do a lot of work with Black women physicians, and then we offer uh, some of our courses a la carte for Black women in medicine, but we basically have masterminds where we're working on women who either want to transition or pivot, or women who just want to streamline their lives and empower themselves in their medicine realm and be able to like live their life by, on purpose, mm-hmm. pivot into what they were called to do and not just what they're told to do. So that's, Ooh, like that. that's what melanin and medicine is. And now we're moving into this DEI space where we're doing more consulting and speaking about how you create spaces for retention and spaces where women can recover from the racial trauma that they endure and a lot of times are silenced because if they aren't silent, they're they're made uncomfortable. And so that is the work that we're moving to hopefully help organizations learn how to do that mm-hmm. and, and, ret- and retain their best talent, us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> so if, if we go back to the women that you started working with and started having in melanin and medicine, what would you say was the number one issue that you found with them like with all the different things that you heard the different stories that you heard was there one overarching theme in terms of one thing that really touched everybody hey how would it feel to use your talents in the cause of social justice it's no secret that black indigenous queer people of color or those who are part of any marginalized group don't get a fair shake experience systemic racism and must work harder for the same rights and privileges that white people receive just by virtue of their race. We also know it doesn't have to be that way. Sometimes that can get overwhelming. Where do we start to make a real difference? What we know we need are upstanders and advocates, people ready to stand up, take action, and spend their privilege to help others. If that's you, I want to invite you on a discovery date with me. Discovery date is a full day immersion in your passions, talents, and desires to help you create a blueprint of powerful, focused action where you'll make the most impact. On your date, we'll discover your strengths, we'll find your lane, and we'll begin your journey. It's just that simple. Discovery dates with Sadie. If you want to know more, just go to sedrolamariska.com backslash discovery dash dates. Hey, what are you waiting for? Come on over. I'm waiting for you. Yeah, I think the big theme was that they look at where they are and they're like, this was not what I imagined. This was not where I'm supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And that, so that looked like either, I used to say either burnt out Mm-hmm. They felt stuck mm-hmm. or they felt, they felt lost, like not sure of what the next steps were. It's almost mm-hmm. like you're driving a car, but don't know where you're going. Right. And then all of a sudden you look up and you're like, 
Where am I? Where am I? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I think the other thing is, you know, as a Black woman physician or Black women in medicine in general, people come to you for the answer. So one thing that I found and the reason why we, we really focused on this was, was because while there are many spaces opening up for Black women, a lot of times Black women physicians or you know, those in academia, because they were kind of like, you know, in this space where they're supposed to have answers, if they were struggling or having questions, they couldn't say that to other people. A lot of times, even in families, I know with mine, it was like, you're a doctor, you're fine, you should be happy. And so it was difficult to walk yes. that tightrope of, I'm actually not well. And who can I tell that to? Yeah, yeah. So in, I'm thinking about what you're saying in terms of not being able to ask for help, mm-hmm. and, but then others coming to you for help. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering about the double standard or the double mind that's there. It's like, on the one hand, it's like, well, you Black woman, how did you get here to be a physician? And then on the other hand, and, and so you feel that you can't ask a question because then your credibility will be questioned each time you ask a question, whereas anybody else can ask the same question and their credibility is not questioned. Then on the other hand, it's like, well, you know a lot, answer me this question, right? (laughs) So it's like this double mind, this double thing that goes on and you kind of have to navigate it in the middle going, I need to be able to ask some questions too. And no, I don't really want to answer your question because you've already made it seem like I should not know what I'm talking about. And then if you do answer the question, it's like, oh, well, maybe I'm going to get a second opinion or something. You know, yeah. there's 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 these, these layers of things that happen. And I think sometimes people are so very unaware of the way that they they do that, right? When I'm, I'm thinking about bias, implicit bias, and I'm thinking about mm. the way that, you know, bias and consciousness don't work together sometimes Mm -mm, mm -mm. and so I'm listening to you and I'm going oh man I I can so see it I'm so related (laughs) uh." so when you talk to companies when you go into companies you know now that you're doing this this new work when you go in to talk about recruitment retention and recovery what are some of the things that you tell them or that you ask of them in order to be able to help them understand it, first of all, and then move them forward in that area? So I usually like, I have four main areas that I think are really important in terms of building a institution. You know, I think it's hard to say right now that a workplace can truly be safe, but how can, for Black women, I think Mm -hmm. there's a lot of work until we get there, (laughs) but I think... I think because they were never meant for us. Correct. Exactly. And so they're built for not us. Yeah. yeah. And so we talk. So what I think the first thing I do is talk about the fact that, you know, Audre Lorde, right? The master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. And so I talk a lot about that whole process of how, first of all, women are like, what just to let them know and see what is what is causing the problem, right? And what procedures that they're like, oh, we didn't know. 
like the women, the women of color entering the workplace, right? And everyone's like, yay, yay, oh, great, great, great. And honeymoon and everyone's really happy. And then she starts doing her job and seeing, oh, this needs to change and this needs to change and holding people accountable. And they were like, that's not why we hired you. We just hired you to like, you know, fit the, 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 this whole DEI thing that we're mm -hmm. talking about. Mm -hmm. And when that happens and they notice this might mean dollars, oh, we have to spend money to retain people. And we have to, which I'll talk about, but we have to um, change board seats. Oh, wait, we have to do all of these things. This is problematic. This is going to shift some things. And so now that person is now made out to be the problem. Right. And then once they're made out to be the problem, right, we can pile everything onto them and say, well, the reasons this not is this is not happening is because, you know, she's not the right fit. Um, it's just, you know, she's just asking for way too much. This is, you know, it just seems like she's being very aggressive at how she's moving. And ultimately, the point comes, you get to the, the point of self of such discomfort that usually either their 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 the HR is that communication problems or or you self-deport. Honestly. Right. So right. we talk about how that process first and foremost and where where is that happening? Where are the pieces where that's been happening and what has been the trend for? So we look at numbers, right? Mm -hmm. And we say, okay, let's look at the numbers. Like who's, who's left, who's gone? Like who's been leaving? What do they look like? To so just start to look and make sure that, that we have an eye of the institution. And then we start about rebuilding, like you said. So dismantle and the thought is, thought is we have to rebuild. Yes. I think there are four pieces. One is vulnerability and networking. How do we create a foundation of that? Mm -hmm. um, for people of color. And then the second, I think, is really around the idea of how do we do discovery, not only discovery for white people and about like, oh, I'm racist or I'm implicit bias or all of those things, but how do we say as important is recovery for Black and other minoritized individuals at that institution and how do we fund that and, and also put to bear that that might include actual dollars for racial trauma support and those kind of things. And then the third, I think, is learning and support. And then the fourth is like mentorship and support, I should say. And the fourth is mm -hmm. really about accountability. What are going to be accountability and strategy for, for the institution? So I talk, and then I go into all of these things in much more detail, but first sure. and foremost, wanted to give you that kind of um, layer. Oh yeah, no, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And I think spot on because institutions don't often think about what it's going to cost to help the current employees who are there who have been traumatized. They don't understand what that trauma means. And so they have to first understand what that trauma means, or at least try to understand because mm -hmm. they would never understand fully, but mm -hmm. try to understand what that trauma means and try to understand that there needs to be a recovery from that trauma in order to move forward. Mm -hmm. And without that recovery, people are falling off, they're leaving and they're getting sick and, and the company thinks that, oh, well, they were the problem. Let's mm -hmm. bring in someone else. And what are you doing? 
you bring in someone else of color, then you're traumatizing that poor person too. And then they got to go, right? So you're just, you become now a trauma center. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? And it's not, that is not the way that it should work. Right. So I, yes. And then being accountable. Absolutely. When I talk to companies, that's what I say. And so you have to be accountable. You have to set real goals and you have to be accountable for those goals. But before you can even get to the goals of doing the diversity part, I feel like you need to be more on board with creating an air, creating a culture that is equitable. So supporting all of your employees, Mm -hmm. figuring out the people who are in there, how are you supporting them? And if there are supports that need to be put in place for the different people who are there, how are you going to do that? Do that first. Exactly. And, and then that's going to make sure that you include their voices mm-hmm. and you're, and you'd be surprised how fast diversity will gravitate to you because when people of color, black people see that a company is working hard on their culture to make sure that they can get what they feel they need it to, to excel, they're coming, they're going to mm-hmm. answer your call, yeah. you know, that yeah. I, Creating those spaces are really important. And, and it's not just about having the employee resource group. Um, it's literally about, you know, because like I said, it's not solely about the infrastructure. It's really about putting our money where our mouth is, mm-hmm. ensuring that we're actually like making, are we, are we even funding that group? First of all, are we giving yes. them administrative support? Are we compensating the leaders so they have protected time to really bring in the right people? Potentially that could be a trauma coach. That could be a coach that is around, if they're talking about financial freedom, maybe that like, that's the thing that people are worried about, like really and allowing for there to be a space that says, oh, you want to hear from us about this mm-hmm. and being able to listen to those black providers. But most of us are feel very unsafe because we've seen people who say what they feel. And then they suddenly was like, what happened to Joanna? Oh, oh they're gone. Yeah. They were, and... they were a problem. They were too <laughs> loud or they were yes. too aggressive or exactly. we, which are words that we know are always associated with black women. Correct. Specifically, if we're going to, you know, be clear about that. Aggressive, loud, didn't fit in, hard to work. Those are, Mm -hmm. those are phrases that are associated with Black women and they are put on all Black women where, you know, sure, there may be some that may be hard to work with, but that is not the norm. That is Mm -hmm. not the truth, so -hmm. to speak. It is just a perception of the truth, right? Correct, correct. So you talked about being burnt out, feeling burnt out, and then realizing that your body was also telling you this, you know, you're, you um, were diagnosed with MS. My husband has MS. What? Yeah, my husband has MS. So I know how uh, different things, different things, nuanced can um, affect your your symptoms it could be a little you know for him you know and everybody's different I know when it comes to MS everybody has a different trigger everybody has something different but with him I know that when he watches his diet when he's lax with his diet he knows yeah right away yeah when he readjusts his diet he feels better when Mm -hmm. he you know there are a lot of different things that he does 
So here's my question to you, because this is something that I talk to people about all the time, and it is the stress that is in the Black community and how it is, how it deteriorates the Black community. And people are always like, well, this happens more in the Black community. I'm not sure why. (laughs) And I'm going, I feel like it's so obvious, right? I'm sorry. Talk to us. Talk to us. <laughs> Talk to us, doctor. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Okay. All right. You got me started. You got me started. All right. So first and foremost, we have to, like, I understand that we're trying to protect our kids, but this is also, I'm a pediatrician, right? So pediatricians automatically think everything is about childhood. childhood. Like everything, <laughs> like we're like, Yeah. <laughs> Um, Frederick Douglass said it. He said, it's easier. It's easier to build strong children than repair broken men. So that's pediatrician's MO. We're like, it's all about us. So basically (laughs) what I think a lot of times happens is first and foremost is a few things, some external and some internal, internal first. Mm -hmm. The big issue is I'd like to call it the value myth that so many of us are kind of indoctrinated into as black people who live in this country minoritized, right? And so Mm -hmm. inherently, a lot of families try to share with their children this comparative view of how how things are going to be for them in order to protect them, Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, you're going to have to work twice, like Brad and Chad, right? (laughs) I want to be a doctor, mommy. Oh, yes, you can. No problem. Good. Keep going. Okay. You know, Omolara, I want to be a doctor. That is great, but you know you're going to have to work twice as hard and (laughs) to get half as far. So already, I'm like, okay, so I have to make sure I overproduce, but it's going to be less value. But maybe I can overproduce to the point that somehow it shows some value. And so we go to this point where now we are seeing ourselves instead of inherently seeing ourselves as valuable whenever we walk into a space, we are using what we do and what we produce to hopefully be our ticket to value, our ticket to looking, to showing our value. And that I think is one of the reasons why we end up being the most educated demographic in the nation, but the least paid. Yes. And that's why we receive all of these accolades, but we are also under the expectation that we're going to be just in order to do it, we're just going to have to live through being dismissed, you know, um, disrespected. Mm. And I think the other piece of this is when we don't get the promotion because of systemic racism, we don't get the raise because of systemic racism. We, we get all of the committees that don't require <laughs> that, that, that are not paid for or protected for. Mm-hmm. We, a lot of times, I think, start to kind of say, oh, personal, maybe it's because I didn't work hard, hard enough. enough. And so now let me overproduce some more. Okay. Uh, no, no raise now. Okay. Wait, let me, let me do a degree. <laughs> I need another degree. I need oh. another degree. Oh and my God. What that does is leads to this excess stress and a coping mechanism, which is called the strong black woman. Well, I'm struggling, but you know, I'm not feeling good, but got to keep that to myself and keep going. I got to keep going. So it causes something called weathering and weathering it are basically when we have these life experiences that are uniquely ours as black and brown people, which include 
the racial inequities that we specifically feel, right? But it's because of a systematic exclusion from our economic, from our, from the political system, from I don't know, social the 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 social um, safety net, and also the medical underservicing that we also get, mm -hmm. as many people have talked about. Mm -hmm. And so when you match that exclude that decrease in access to resources and the increased stress mm -hmm. and the that is like basically that increased stress chronically chronically going in oh you know you uh, omalara's oh, oh, gonna get it done you know she's gonna get it done and that you add that and now um, it causes something that chronic stress is known as allostatic load. Mm. And what we know is that chronic exposure to stress actually, and trauma mm -hmm. actually causes dysregulation of our metabolic systems, of our immune systems, of our cardiovascular systems. And it shows up in our bodies because a lot of times we don't let it out. So high blood pressure, migraine, increased obesity because our metabolism is messed up, mm -hmm. higher rates of autoimmune disorders like myself, earlier heart attacks. And honestly, that is what we see happening to us. And it's a, it's the perfect storm. It's the result of a perfect storm from systemically how we've grown up to like indoctrinate that we have to overproduce to be visible and it, it's killing us yeah um, it's literally. really killing us it's it's literally killing us and one thing i wanted to mention though is i think that if we don't start to like shift many of us if we look at ourselves in terms of how we are talking to our children and how we're actually talking to our daughters and all yes. and we we can see that there are there are trick there are things that we're already putting into them unconsciously. So yeah, sorry, I, 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 I could go all day for that. <laughs> look, look, we're here, okay? <laughs> I could I catch myself a lot before I say something to my kids, especially to my daughter, a lot because I realize this, right? That's that's the that's the power of being aware mm -hmm. right it's just like when you are unaware of your biases once you become aware of them you can catch yourself sometimes before you actually say something that's gonna do some damage right and I do catch myself a lot of times because I I do know that no 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 that doesn't work that mm -hmm. that's not that's not going to benefit right but I am guilty of saying, look, you have to work harder <laughs> than others. And I do need to, to, to curb that enthusiasm. Yeah, it's not, and it's not about not telling, cause I, look, I need my kids to oh, work, no, work hard. Oh no, I know, work right? hard, but it's yes. not about putting it so much so in their mind that they feel that anything that they do is not enough and they have to Correct. keep making more, Correct. doing it better and better and better and better and better. Correct. Right, Correct. you know, and it's just so, yeah. <laughs> I mean, sorry. I went a little, I was like that, that when it comes to black people's health and the idea, I remember actually Dr. Fauci, when he actually said, you know, it was, he was talking about kind of the increased 
amount around COVID um, mm-hmm. and, and because of the fact that there were more of us who had comorbidities. Mm-hmm. And I was waiting. I was like, so we we not going to talk about why those comorbidities no. exist? No, and that don't. doesn't come out very often, which is why I tend to ask the question, especially yeah. if I'm speaking to a physician, I will tend to ask the question. I'm like, look, because in my mind, it makes sense. It, it makes no sense that you are looking at the black population and you're saying, oh, well, they have more high blood pressure and more diabetes and more this and more that, but you are not correlating it with this systemic racism that they live under and the amount of stress that that puts on their bodies mm-hmm. to then, you know, break it down so that these things have a, a, a place to, to, to fester. So mm-hmm. I just find that it, it it's just like, it seems so obvious yeah. and I'm not a physician by any way, <laughs> you know, I, it, unless you call somebody who watches Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> well, I do. <laughs> you know, I mean, if, if that makes me a physician, but you know what I'm saying? It's just like, come on, let's, and the thing is that it's going to take money Correct. again to fix this issue. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all about where do you want to put the money? Where do you mm-hmm. want to put the money? Mm-hmm. Right? It seems that you don't want to put it in the community Mm-mm. so that the water and the um, electric lines aren't in those communities. Mm-hmm. The dumps aren't in those communities. Mm-hmm. And the, there are open air spaces in those communities. So many different things that are not, that don't traditionally get thought of for the yeah. community how about we do do some of that stuff yeah you know and what and what we do know is that health outcomes when you look at oecd countries right the richest countries in in the in the world what we do know is that health outcomes america of course far and away is spending more money per person on on help but um for their health care and it is not showing up in terms of health outcomes, right? But right. what we've seen is that when you look at these countries, the health outcomes are actually correlated to the percent spending on addressing social, social. unmet social needs and providing a social safety net and all of those things. So making sure that people have access to food, making sure people have access to housing. And when you look at the countries and how they spend on those things, that's actually the correlation to health. And so what we're doing here in America is nowhere near healthcare. It's right. sick care because yes. that's what gets paid for. So there isn't, and as a pediatrician, what we, we know, like pediatricians are actually very low pay because in comparison, because a lot of our work is, is preventative. A lot of our work is trying to prevent illness, but a lot of the reimbursement and funding is really founded on sick people. Like sick. the more sick people you have, the better. So if, the you know, more, if, I, right. if it's a numbers game and it's a money game, the, the best way that, you know, capitalism and everything lives is by making sure people stay sick and not actually investing money in keeping them well. But if we change the healthcare system to say, you know what, we're gonna actually pay money for you to keep this person well, which is called value-based. It hasn't caught on yet, but Mm -hmm. value-based payment. If we actually invest in how we give you bonuses for how you keep this person outside of the hospital, Mm. how you make sure that they don't show up. Don't come back. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That is going to shift 
really, you know, I think the dilemma, this is all a a numbers game, like you said, and money. Mm -hmm. And until we're doing that kind of thing, especially in medicine, um, we'll see these disparities continue because it's more profitable to put a Band-Aid than actually go in and do the the wound and actually go into the wound and and clean it up and fix it. Right, right. But you know, people are going to call you a socialist. And <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Most most of us pediatricians, a lot of us are. tend to be because we yeah. have to speak up for the for the people who can't yes. say anything, can't vote. <laughs> okay. Oh my goodness. Wow. Sorry. Yes. Is that if that, no. if I lose people who um <laughs> who you know who... <laughs> I think I think that sometimes these words are thrown around and they don't really understand what they mean. And if we just stop trying to put a label on it, if we Mm -hmm. instead just try to do the right thing for people, humans, I think (laughs) we'll be better off, right? We constantly have to try to prove our humanity. Why do we have to keep proving our humanity in order for you to even look our way, you know? We are human. We're here. We're not going anywhere because you've been trying to kill us. So yes, we know that we're here. Yes. We're here to stay. So now, why don't we just make it equitable for everyone? Because what would happen is that everyone would do better. Mm-hmm. Everyone would do better. But for some reason, people have got it into well because we know the reason because this Mm -hmm. whole system has been based on this whole thing that if you're doing better then I must be doing worse Mm -hmm. this scarcity mentality Mm -hmm. this uh we this piece of pie mentality like there there are a finite number of pieces of the pie it's it blows my mind yeah, that was my mind. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and one of the things to think about is right. We know, you know, power doesn't concede anything without a demand, and we also know yeah. that ultimately anything less than that is seen as oppression, right? For people, anything less than the privilege that they they yes. are used to, anything that potentially minimizes that gap, yes. is now what? Where? Why are you taking now our rights? A, yes. <laughs> Never mind that the other people have been living under that oppression for a long time. And they're just trying to say, hey, that it's not right. You're just like, you're so used to a certain, you know, and and I can understand that because, you know, I think to myself, so there was a time when I was in maybe college or just out of college and I didn't have a lot of money and we need to go to a hotel. I wasn't looking for the the three-star, four-star hotel. I was like, if it looks clean, it's fine. Now I'll go to a hotel and I'm not embarrassed to say, I'll go into a hotel. I'll be like, this is a dirty, clean motel. I am not staying here. (laughs) It's made to look clean, but it's not as dirty. We're leaving. Right. (laughs) So, so it's really hard, you know, to, to kind of add, to go back but some people just haven't even ever been at the lower grade hotel. They've always been at the top. And so now you're asking them to, okay, well, can we kind of equalize a little bit, which means you need to come down a notch so that we can come up a notch. And they're going, Ooh, this is a nasty hotel. (laughs) I mean, I, you know, I even think of it like more as look, how about we like say hotels can't exist like this. 
Right. Right. So now all of us, like the one that I think the most simplest thing, you know, for me, especially when I was using a wheelchair was like, the access to ramps, right? And so when Ooh, you have I ramps, talk about that all right? the time. Yeah. And, and I think it's the same thing, right? It's just the idea that if we now, if I'm, if we now put in a law, hey, dirty, dirty, clean motels just aren't, aren't no, nope, we can't, they aren't a thing. Everyone has to get to this standard. So let's put in some money. So everyone now at the baseline is a three-star hotel or a four-star right. hotel. Right. And now everyone has to have access to, to that. Right. And everyone can benefit because like you said, it's not just the people in wheelchairs. It's the strollers, the people who are tired, who, yeah. are, who, who right? get to benefit from the ramps. Yes. Now, it's not just for those people. So I think that we have to start thinking that way and we have to start thinking about our institutions that way of thinking about what is it that we can create as a baseline mm-hmm. like you said for everyone and so that you know everyone's floating at a, at a at a higher level as well right but in order to get what we're saying is in order to get some of that funding to be able to do that we need to all like say this is important for us yes. to all get to that level yes everybody needs to say this is important and that's where you run into people going well i don't want my tax dollars exactly. <laughs> paying for those lazy people with which you know once people start talking like that i go oh you ignorant i'm not talking to you I, don't, I just i just i just don't have time i don't have time to educate you and then get you to understand so no 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 we're not we're not doing this <laughs> we're not doing this Oh my goodness. So now if we're, if we're women, so let's talk about black female doctors okay. who have now <laughs> become burnt out mm-hmm. and they want to, they don't want to be in medicine anymore, which is sad. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you something. I have been looking for a black female therapist for a long time. I finally found one. So I'm, I'm, there are certain things that need to go in for me to be able to work with them. But it was a long journey. And so it makes me sad when I hear, you know, medicine, I'm talking about doctors, Black female doctors leaving because they're burnt out is too much or what have you. But I get it. I understand. So how can they turn what they are, their knowledge, so to speak, into a profitable venture for themselves yeah. where they yeah. don't have to get burnt out, but they can do something that, you know, would tap into their passion like you. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I actually do a workshop called pivot into your purpose. We actually just finished it. And so I will take you through those steps, but I think first and foremost, our goal, right. Is to just get black women to get to where they want to be, Black women doctors to get to where they want to be. No, just because women are burnt out doesn't mean that they want not don't want to practice medicine anymore. True. Actually, the majority of them do. They just don't want to do it on these terms or, or a lot of times they've been told that there is no other option. And it's about saying, actually, tell these people something. Like, this is what, you know, like, <laughs> let's, let's create, let's create some options for yourself instead of saying that this is kind of how it has to be. And that's the strategy piece. And so I think what I, what we want to say is that if black women are burnt out, 
we first need to realize what is their purpose, right? Mm -hmm. At this point, because the other piece also is recognizing that a lot of us are kind of sitting in that space. I think we talked about the four levels of competence, right? And a lot of us are sitting in that space where it's unconscious competence now. So it's like, I'm so good at this. I can do it with my eyes closed. Yeah. And- and there's no, and there's, there's nothing new, no right? challenge, no yes, challenge. New. and we don't, and we don't get to explore more breath in the work that we do or more depth in the work that we do that can bring us back to a level of incompetence and a level, level of growth. Yes, right? yes. So I think that's really important to, to find out, am I there? And like start and then say, I need to do this rediscovery. So what does the rediscovery um, include? The first thing I usually say that it includes in terms of saying, there's two parts, right? First is making sure that we get to the purpose, right? And then the second part is now, how do we make that purpose profitable? So uh, so we start with the first part because it's like, yes. you could we could think of ideas to make money for days, right? Yes, yes. But our goal is not to like jump out of the burning building to go into like the flood, right? Right, right. Because now we created something that makes money, but we're not connected to it. It's not aligned with us. And then we, the soonest what something happens hits, we, we're out. So one of the things that I think is really important is one, being able to use our past first to look at, what has been meaningful for us. Mm-hmm. So where have the hills been in your life? Mm-hmm. What are the themes that come out from those hills? So, you know, what, where does it, where are you seeing as you look at the different moments that you've, you found meaningful in your life? What do you see resonates as meaningful to you? What bring, what, what seems to bring meaning to you? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's one of the first things. And one of the second things we do in that is also recognize what are the valleys so that we can start to say, how did I get from that valley to that hill and recognize that even if we're in a dark place and burnt out right now, we have certain things that we do that we need to rely on to get us out of it. So just Mm -hmm. recognizing that. Mm -hmm. The second thing I usually say is we have to also recognize our zone of genius, right? And so Mm -hmm. it's about what is it that I think, you know, um, that I love to do but also what is it that I'm good at? Mm-hmm. And once again, we're trying to make this Venn diagram, right? And so what is it that I'm good at? And so zone of genius, what does everyone praise me for? What is it that comes naturally to me where, where everyone's always struggling? And what is it that, you know, I find flow in, right? Where mm-hmm. I'm just like the hours go. And then the third thing is really around what is it that I think that the world needs and what is that like, um, how do I say it? I say more of kind of what is it? How, you can usually say something like, I'm just trying to think of the best, the best way to do it, your successes. So as you look at the things that you've been successful at, usually those are things that you're proud of because they brought something to the world. Mm-hmm. So what is it that you think the world needs? What is it that you think that you're good at? What is it that you think that you actually adore and are passionate about. Mm -hmm. The concept is actually very well structured in something called Ikigai, Mm -hmm. um, which is a Japanese concept, Ikigai. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that I think is really important for physicians and for any professional is how do we make sure our profession is moving us towards that? 
mm-hmm. rather mm-hmm. than away, away from, from those th- right. things, the things yeah. that I love, the things I'm good at. Mm-hmm. And so if you find yourself being pulled by your profession, either because it's completely not aligned with those things, mm-hmm. then that causes a lot of tension, right? And you're like, I hate this. I'm getting a headache every time I enter into the yes. workplace. And yes. So that I think is really core. Once you get to that purpose, making it profitable is only four things. I think number one is after you dreamed it up, right? That's the fun part. Mm-hmm. And then you have to now define it with the details. And mm-hmm. so that's going to be a lot more about understanding kind of what are the values that I have? What are going to be the boundaries I need to make? Like Mm -hmm. if this works, right. But I know I need to have, I know my value is faith and family. Mm -hmm. What am I going to have to do in order to make it that I can be at dinner, right. Every Mm -hmm. night for Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you have to start thinking about what is it, do I have to eliminate? And, you know, in order to make this happen, refining the idea with supports, who are the guides? Who, who's done this before? Who are the skeptics? So they can poke holes and be like, how about that? Have you thought about that? How about that? <laughs> and then really starting to say, okay, let's do the strategy and let's start to think about what's the smallest action I can take to get more information. Because a lot of us sit with that burning idea and we think that the clarity is going to come. Like we're going to wait you're going to pray. And then all of a sudden the light is going to shine when the clarity actually comes with the action. Right. So once we do it and we're like, people like, Oh no, we don't like that. Or, Oh my God, this is great. But could you add this? Yes. That's when we start moving into something that could potentially be profitable um, and creating that. So those are some of my thoughts around getting to the purpose and then going to the profit. I think yeah. that's really important. Yeah, I think so too. And I, and I like that. Um, yeah. And I think, and I think one of the things that I've learned is that staying open to the possibilities, letting it flow. Don't think that the first thing that you do or the first thing that you think is going to be that thing. Maybe yes. it's only taking you on a journey to the thing that you want, right? You know, as women, we're taught that if we don't, if we, oh, she, they, they change, you change your mind all the time. Well, you know what? New information means it's maybe sometimes I got to change my mind, right? <laughs> I mean, we get, we get criticized for that as women all the time. Oh, women, they can't make up their minds on anything. Yeah, we can, but maybe we're more open to exploring Mm-hmm. The, the the truths of it all instead of holding on so tightly to the first thing and then going I hate this right yes so yeah. I think it's so important that we make sure that we put that out there it's okay to change your mind yeah and 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 I think we've seen it I mean you know like you heard my story about a Facebook group a podcast yeah I had no clue like I was like in my salary position trying to like beg people please can you like just change it this way and change the job this way and do it this way so that I can stay because I don't have any other skills right is what I was what a lot of us and especially yes. those of us in professional you know spaces say like this is all I know how to do yeah and we don't break down like all the things that are involved in what you do from a daily basis and I like Oh, that's mon- that can be monetized. Oh, that can be monetized too. Oh, that which one do you want? Like, right, which one do right, you want? exactly. 
So, yeah, you know, we, we spend a lot of time, you know, we talk about other people putting us in boxes, but we spend a lot of time contorting ourselves to put ourselves into boxes ourselves. Yeah. So we have to realize that it's not a box. It's, you know, and when you get a box, sometimes you get a lot of different things in the box and that you can get excited about all those different things and what they can do, you know? So we have to kind of, we have to give ourselves grace. I'm I'm a big believer, you know, I was diagnosed in um, December of 2017, breast cancer, went through treatments, you know, for the most part of 2018. And in that time, that's something that I learned, have to give yourself grace, you have to give yourself space, and you can change your mind. You, I love it. I love it. I love it. Yes. Yes. And then listen to that body. Your body will tell you what, what is okay. And if you're tired, take a nap. If you can, if not take a minute, if you can take a walk, but listen to your body and make sure that you're not constantly pushing against what it's trying to tell you, because what it's trying to tell you is very legitimate. And so for me, I know that I refuse to allow myself to get stressed out because I'm like, oh no, you're not, you're not going to get me in that exactly. because I already know that that's the, that's the, probably the number one thing that will cause me to relapse. And I'm like, nope, not doing it. Not for you, not for them, not for anybody. Right. So we just kind of have to allow we have to trust ourselves more. I, I completely agree. I completely agree. Intuitions and, and, and all yeah. of that. I mean. Yeah. There's um there's something that I usually um, tell a lot of the women we work with, which is, you know, using that body compass, right? And a lot of us aren't comfortable with it because, you know, we'd rather go on Google and ask like complete strangers in a Facebook group what to do rather than like... <laughs> I'm not saying, look, I have a Facebook group. I'm and not saying it's a bad thing. And sometimes we know. We already yes. know. And sometimes we know. And we're just like, or it's like, it seems extremely ridiculous. And we're like, so scared. And we're like, maybe somebody else will give me something that's different than, right, than this right. thing that I've been thinking about every single night and can't go to sleep. Maybe somebody out there will tell me, no, it's no, different. right. Yes. It, it seems absolutely ridiculous. Like when I realized that the, the, the next step was probably I'm going to have to leave and resign. And I can tell you as someone who devoted right over a decade or more to one specific goal and then to get there and be like, this doesn't really serve me right now anymore. And it's okay. It's not that it was wasted time it's right that it was important time and i'm allowed to evolve yes mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. are allowed to evolve you are allowed to change your mind you're allowed to move forward and not just stay in that one place and it's not that you know maybe that one place just doesn't serve you anymore mm-hmm. you know and that's okay yes absolutely I I think I tweet so Twitter is my favorite social media platform it's actually part of my self-preservation so if I'm mad about something (laughs) just go on I just let her rip yes and and I love it that's that's what I do and you know I, I remember like tweeting something 
where I was like, I left academia today. I think it was the day after, it was January 1st of this year. And I left academia and I was like, it felt like I was stripped because it felt like I put so much into this thing. And now I was like, <laughs> what, what else do I have? And then it was like that realization, I think it, that I wrote about, you know, I had been so busy, like trying to kind of figure out a way to put myself in uh, because I was too big to actually fit in there. I had to, the, the, there's no place that existed. I had to create it. Yeah. And I think so many of us have to recognize that there may be an opportunity for you to fit and conform and, 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 you know, not even conform just to be able to like make that institution kind of like stretch in order for it to, in, in order for you to, to do what you feel like you're called to do in there, yeah. but never thinking that, you know, that's the only thing. Sometimes that place doesn't exist and you're just going to have to build it because it doesn't exist. You're right. The, it's you. Sorry. And so, <laughs> so like, and so somebody told me, one of my clients was like, what if you never left Omar? What if like you didn't create this thing? Like we don't have anything like this. And, you know, I think about it, I'm like, oh my gosh. And it never looked like that in the beginning. It was like three women, me doing a, like a session, like every week, wasn't a whole like office hours and we have master coaches and math ex expert master classes and book clubs and all of these things now but it really just started with like you know something so small and so I just think it's really important for us to recognize that I, I like to say Oprah just had the talk show like <laughs> that was that was it right she just okay. had the talk show and it was only in Chicago correct and now look <laughs> I'm just saying it's so true. And, you know, I was reading, I think in an article that I just wrote actually, but it was saying, I was saying that the best way to believe in yourself and the best way to build the confidence that you need in order to, to do what you need to do in this life is to look at yourself, look within and forget everybody else. Don't compare don't look over here. Don't look over there. Cheer on those people that are in your life that are doing fantastic, but don't compare. Compare yourself only to yourself a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, so that that will give you the confidence to say, you know what, look what I did. I can keep, you know, now I can keep going. And I know, and I'm, and I'm realizing where my, where my passions are. I'm realizing where my superpowers are, I'm going to put them all together and I'm going to do this, but it's the best to just kind of, you know, trust yourself. That's something that we really need to do is trust ourselves. We're not taught to do that as, as little girls and young women. We're not taught to trust ourselves. We're taught to, to do what people say to do. And then that's probably the right answer versus thinking for myself and saying, no, this is really what I feel and trust our bodies. Yes. Like, I feel like you said with your husband. So I know when stress is hurt, like I feel it in that leg, that leg, I almost feel like uh, very spiritual around um, Paul from the Bible, how he talks about like, 
that like um basically it's like a thorn in your side and mm. that he had like there's my le my leg is always that was where everything started spasms and everything so when anything is starting up where I'm not like where I'm getting I'm stressing myself out it's it starts in that leg and I can either choose to ignore it which I probably was doing a long time ago probably that's what I kept ignoring <laughs> right. or I can choose to listen and say this isn't right and that can show up in different ways it can show up in the migraines that I always feel in the space that I'm working. It can mm. show up in, as I'm doing, as I'm thinking about an idea, how I start to feel light and like mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. warm and like almost a smile comes into my body. And, and yet we choose to say, Ooh, no, 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 no. And so really starting to recognize the power in our bodies and being able to start to say what we feel and understanding that yes one of the things that's hard that's hard about this is that many of us our financial freedom is mm. not tied is is very much tied into the places that we work yeah so if we know there's a system that is saying you have to be small silent and self-sacrificing anything but that could jeopardize yeah it becomes difficult to make that decision and i don't want to reduce that like that it's reality true. for people yeah I do want to say that sometimes I do think that it's a it's a all or nothing for a lot of us like meaning that mm -hmm. there has to be like this or it has to be like completely like different and I think a lot of us aren't pushing like and making those small incremental incrementally yeah. yep. to to move towards where we where we want to want to be yeah. I think that we've come to a consensus that we just need to just pay attention to, <laughs> to how we're feeling and to, so that we can do as much as we can to mitigate, to kind of reduce the amount of stress that we carry. And, you know, as you said, you know, those women who were under HR investigations and things like that happen and, but pushing against the system is we know that that the work that we do is for those who come behind us to be able to continue to push those boundaries right so we push a little bit and they come behind us and they push a little bit more and so we know that sometimes you know you got to do you got to do the hard things that you don't want to do but yeah and luckily each generation gets more impatient because I don't know how this six-year-old right? and eight-year-old that I have like, I don't think they can, I don't think they're employable, honestly. Um, I, 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 or I pity the fool as like Mr. T says, like who, who decides. So I'm just saying like, you push a little bit and they like in the same period push a lot more, like, yes. it, you know, so I think each generation just gets a little bit more, you know, bold and a little bit more impatient and that's a good thing so yes not mad about that at <laughs> all <laughs> oh my goodness well it has been such a pleasure speaking to you so before we wrap this all up I want to ask you one last question we're gonna bring it back down to you know easy stuff and uh, I would like for you to tell us what is your favorite dish 
So my favorite dish, my mom, I, I used to make it. Now I don't make it much. So I, my mom usually makes it. Um, it's egusi soup, egusi and efo. So egusi is a traditional Nigerian stew. Yes. Um, and it is delicious. There's some like, there's pieces that are, there's melon seed there. You can put anything you want, dried fish. And you know, people put shrimp, meat, and then it's totally not healthy, just so people <laughs> And I don't want to eat the healthy one. If people think of a vegan version, I don't You're want like, that one. You're like, no, not nope, that one. Don't want that one. Um, but a goosey with effo and then a nice pound of, a nice eon, um, which is pounded yam to eat yes. with it. Yes. And it's greens. And so you just take that piece of eon, put it in the stew, Ooh. enjoy yummy the spicier the better oh it sounds <laughs> yummy oh my gosh well that's awesome well thank you so much Omalara for being here it has been such a pleasure and thank you for all of the insights that you've brought forth just incredible thank you for the opportunity it has been a it's been a pleasure and I'm super excited i definitely want to make sure that you know if any women kind of need that support like it's been exciting to talk about that and i hope that women really get something from this i hope so too i will definitely be putting your information down in the show notes so that people are able to um, find melanin and medicine and so that they can work with you if they need to because i think that it's fantastic oh thank you Hey, did you enjoy that episode? If so, please leave a review. It would mean the world, but only if it's a good one and you really did enjoy it. In which case, it would be awesome if you help support my work over at Patreon. The link is in the show notes. And finally, before you go, don't forget, we have a date. See you soon.